0: Going on, everyone, and welcome back to episode five of the Anything and Everything podcast. I'm your host Ty Reeves, and today we'll be discussing the future of UConn football with operations intern and former player Doug Wardlaw. How you doing, Doug? I'm
1: good. Happy to be here.
0: All right. Why don't you start off by just introducing yourself to the people?
1: All right. So I was born and raised in New Haven, Connecticut, the Westville area, um, still where I reside. Um, went to Hopkins School a small private day school in New Haven. From there, I did a year at Union College in Schenectady, New York, um, close to Albany, about, uh, i say, three hours from New Haven. Um, small liberal arts school, one of the better liberal arts school, I had about 1,500 kids, so it was probably smaller than most people's high school. From there, I transferred to UConn, uh, where I've so far done two years now, time is flying, plan to wrap it up next year.
0: All right. So obviously you said you started off at, you know, a D3 school and you came from Hopkins in New Haven. So how was your recruiting, you know, coming to UConn was different than a regular D1 athlete?
1: So the the different thing about Division three is obviously, you know, it's two steps down from Division one. But you don't really see that when it comes to competition. It's 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 heated. It's the same kind of battling you see with sports on TV. Uh, But when it comes to recruiting, it's a lot more academically oriented like they need to know your ACT score your SAT score different schools have different ranges in terms of what kind of kids they could take the Ivy Leagues have index on um, your athletic performance and what that means for the scores that you come with so it's very it's a very different process but the the name of the game is still the same all the schools want the best players and those are usually the same group of kids so I think my senior year, I had offers from Union, uh, Bentley, which is a D2 school in Boston, uh, most of the NESCAC, and ultimately decided on Union, which was a rebuilding program. The season they were recruiting me, they just came off of an 0-10 season. So it was definitely a pretty good recruiting pitch uh,
0: for me to get there. Yeah, so you talked about earlier that uh, your coach was actually a D1 coach. Yeah. So how did, you know, having that D1 experience already at a D3 school help you when you were adjusting the playing at UConn? It
1: was huge. And sometimes I just want to send him an email or text be like, listen, I know like the intent of you bringing that structure to Union wasn't for me. But it, it was just huge because when it came to scheduling and training camp and how things are done throughout the week, it was almost the exact same thing. So. As big of a jump as it was, I didn't have to worry about, wow, like, I don't know, my body could take this or I wasn't expecting all of this kind of time commitment because I had just done it. Um, obviously, some things were shift, shifted throughout the day. Like at UConn, we do a lot of things in the morning. Um, and at Union, we practice like from 8 to 10, 15, which was super late. Um, so it, it, it was huge and I'll, something I'll be forever grateful for. Um, but because I can without kind of that experience, I don't know how well I would have been able to transition between two schools.
0: So definitely, you know, to step up from Division three to Division one is huge, like you said. And obviously, you know, you had that experience of a D1 coach, but now you're coming to a coach like Randy Etzel. That's well known coached in the NFL, led UConn to a couple bowl games in the Big mm-hmm. East. was? what you have to adjust when coming to UConn to play?
1: Um, I think everyone everyone should know about Coach Edso is he's a no nonsense guy. Um, he's strict on time. The thing the way things should be done, they always have to be done. be done. There's no shortcuts, there's no coach, but I was doing this, no excuses. You be there on time, you do all the right things. And that's the thing with coach. If you do all of the right things, you don't take any shortcuts, he will be your best friend. Um, he'll be there for you. He'll help you out. Do um, kind of you need something done that maybe involves academics? You need a tutor. He'll make sure that happens, and you could just hold your end of the deal. Um, but in terms of coming from Division three, it was super helpful in terms of knowing how Coach asshole was wired because my coach at Union was kind of wired the same way. You had to be on time. You need to make sure your schoolwork was done. Um, giving the adequate amount of effort during practice and making sure you were a good teammate. So all of that carried over. And at Union, they went from 0-10 to 7-3 and 3 to this most recent season, they were 11-0 and 0 and I think got to the Division three quarterfinals. So to me, it kind of showed me how a program should be run, no matter if you're rebuilding or you're contending. Those type of things are the standard to be successful.
0: Now, obviously, you just said, you know, you went to Union while they are rebuilding. UConn is kind of currently, well, not kind of, is rebuilding currently. Do you ever look back and you're kind of like, damn, I wish I would have stayed at Union? Or do you ever regret coming to UConn?
1: Um, largely, no, because the reasons I came for you to UConn were largely outside of football. It wasn't really to be winning games. And obviously, that's a huge plus. It was more so academically and, you know, extracurriculars, like things we do together at Sports Business Association, those types of opportunities. But, I mean, seeing Union win, it, 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 obviously you think kind of casually, what if, but the experience I had in the program at UConn was unmatched. The way they treat us, the practice, the facilities. We have some of the best facilities in the group of five and out of independents. Um, obviously, the winning wasn't there, but there are so many other things that comes with the experience of playing for UConn that I wouldn't say made up for some of the records, which ultimately everyone goes through these phases. But um, definitely no, no regrets about coming to the University of Connecticut.
0: Definitely. So, kind of just to bring it back, obviously, to UConn football, you said that the transition kind of for practice at least was Union was at night. Uh, UConn was more in the morning, and then weightlifting and stuff like that. But talk about your first ever practice as a UConn football player. Yeah,
1: I will. I was telling the story last week to my high school coach. I will never forget it because the way the NCAA works is when you first step on campus, no matter what point it is, if you're a transfer or you're a freshman, you have to go through a mandatory uh, five hour kind of. They call it orientation. It's the NCAA. They're so in depth with everything. But five-hour orientation, and it involves taking a tour of your campus, uh, kind of getting to know your athletic, academic advisors, things along that nature. But because I had got there, because U- Union, if you guys didn't know, was it's a trimester school. So you start um, kind of mid-September, second week of September, you end in right before Thanksgiving, and then you start again um, right after New Year's, but the way the calendar breaks down, you don't get out of school for good until the middle of June, so I wasn't able to take part in any of the summer training my first year at UConn, so that orientation for me fell on the first day of training camp, so while everyone was kind of learning the plays and, and meetings, I was upstairs in the facility going through my NCAA orientation. So I got out there. I had no idea what the plays were. And I was not even going to lie. I was rattled beyond belief. I mean, the coaches were understanding. But I was out there, and they were yelling the plays. And I was like, oh, my God. I don't know what's going on. So it was definitely just a mind-blowing experience. And I'll remember it probably for the rest of my life. But it it was as big of an adjustment as you think it was, it was.
0: So obviously before you said, you know, Union heavily recruited you out of high school. For sure. And you kind of knew what you were getting into when you went there, you know, a rebuilding system. But coming to UConn, you know, it's a little different as you're a transfer and you're coming to a school that, you know, we're not getting no five-star recruits, Mm -hmm. but we're getting, I guess you could say, better recruits than Union colleges. So how is the competition level around the team?
1: Oh, it's it's sky high. Um, And coach Edso kind of breeds that environment because he always says, and he makes sure to say, especially during training camp that no one's job is safe. You can, you're fighting for your job throughout the entirety of camp. And I remember when he said that the first meeting, I was like in my head, like there has to be some guys whose spots are locked in. But as training camp went on, I saw guys from being with the starters, the bumping down the third string and from third string to the starters, just based on how, practice went so those training camp practices were some of the most intense i've been a part of because everyone's literally fighting for their job on the team and the team only travels so many people so you have guys fighting to be on that 2d fighting to uh kind of make an impression on special teams so it's it's a super competitive atmosphere so i mean the talent division one athletes are division one athletes the talent you get the best from all over the country And when you combine that with the intensity of fighting for a spot, it was it was crazy.
0: So, obviously, playing with Etzel, like I said before, he's a former UConn coach, or you know, coach UConn Mm -hmm. in the past. Went to Maryland, had a couple stints in the NFL with I think the Dolphins and a couple other teams. Came back to UConn. How does it feel to play under a coach? you know, that has had all these different experiences at the top level of the game?
1: I mean, it's special because I, obviously the last two seasons haven't gone well, but the stories he tells and the guys he has come in to talk to us, like the experiences that he's had with some players, like, you know, who did have come in recently? Byron Jones, just talking about their runs when he was there the first time, those – you get chills when you hear them because the things they've accomplished are what we all wanted to get done in our time on the team. So it's, you, he's a guy who's been there before. So you, you almost have to trust him because he knows exactly what he's doing. and He's doing the same thing the second time. Um, and that's where we're fighting to get to. And I know the results are coming slowly, slower than anyone wants, but I, it's a, process it's going to take time obviously no one wants to hear that especially fans especially us because we put in the time like we're going to win every week um but just listening to him and kind of continuing the course and making sure he always has play every play like it's the last play you'll ever play and those are the type of things you'll hear from him throughout the week so it was it was definitely a special experience
0: yeah so you kind of led me into my next question last season you guys went two and (laughs) ten The year before you went one and 11. So obviously losing seasons are tough, especially in the D one level at a big school like UConn. And I'm sure you guys get criticism from other teams, you know, students around campus, but how does those two losing seasons affect the program overall?
1: Overall, I think three years from now, we're going to look back at those two seasons and they will be pretty kind of instrumental in building the program to what it will be at that point. Um, Short term obviously as a player on the roster it was it was hard to go through just like a losing losing football I don't care division 3 division 2 division 1 the amount of time you put in during the week for the opponent and to not have to have that payoff on Saturdays is is brutal cuz you prepare from Sunday to Friday for whoever is on the schedule and to not have that payoff is tough Um, In terms of the morale of the team, it's weird because we only won two games, but watching us practice, we definitely improved throughout the season. And I think you'd see that when looking at our game against East Carolina, Houston, the first half of the tempo game, their improvement improvement was there. So that was definitely um, a driving force in the locker room. But it, it had its difficult parts, and every season does. Um, but I think looking back at it, the grand scheme of things will be – these two years will be very
0: formative for what this program will be. Yeah, so obviously, you know, you said it, losing's tough at any level you play at. And for the fans, it's tough, especially for the athletic department, obviously with the deficit and not being able to sell out Rensselaer. But you're not with the team anymore. You step down as being a player. Did losing, you know, those two losing seasons impact your decision to stop playing?
1: Um, I wouldn't say so. I mean, if we were winning national championships, I think it would be easier for anybody to want to play on the team and be on the roster. But for me, it was just, personally, football is one of those games that tells you when you're done. Like, not really where you're on the depth chart, but your body. And You know, I had other things I wanted to get done that I felt kind of would take precedence over football. My, my goal was never – to go to the NFL or uh, coach in the NFL, so I kind of had things that took priority, like internships and kind of getting into the finance realm and being around those people and listening to them, so it was just time for me to kind of put football in its proper place in my life in terms of the future, um, and it definitely was, it was difficult because I've been playing football since my sophomore year of high school, which is a lot shorter than than most Other guys on the team. But I mean, you build a special bond with not only the players, but the administrators in the building, the coaches in the building. So it was tough. But deep down, kind of I'm sure everyone has their their kind of hobbies when you know it's time to put it down deep down, you know, when you're done. So that time just came. But with the losing, I wouldn't say it affected my decision too much.
0: How did Etzel? you know, when you walked into his room and you were like, hey, coach, like, I think I'm going to hang up my pads, how did he react? Well, well I was – now,
1: I was dreading that. I was thinking about it the whole day that I went to talk to him. But so I walk in his office, and he had just gotten off the phone because it was in the winter. It was the heat of recruiting season. And I sat down in his office and just told him well, basically what I just told you. And he was like, you know, I completely understand that, like – as sometimes you gotta do things for yourself and for your family and it'll pay off in the long run. And I was just blown away because you know, putting together a roster in the way you want, you want obviously you want to retain everybody, but everyone has their own priorities. Um so just talking to him and for him to understand honestly meant the world to me. And I even said I would love to stick around in the program in any capacity. And he was like most definitely. So that's the type of coach he is. I was one of those guys who made sure to show up on time. Make sure my academics were in check. And like I said, he'll always take care of you if you're holding up on your end. And you saw that with me. So he was like, you know, talk to Ryan, who's he's our director of football operations in terms of how I could stay around the program. And that's what I'm doing now. So the conversation really couldn't have gone better.
0: Yeah, so like you said, you wanted to stay around the team. And now you're in the new position as an operations intern. What do you hope to achieve with this role and how do you think it will affect you in the going? You know, going forward in life.
1: Um, well, one of the main things that I want to at least kind of lend to the guys because what makes it unique is I was just a player less than five, four months ago. So I know how those guys think, and I know kind of how tight their schedules are. And one of the main things that the program really harps on is providing opportunities outside of football. So. Uh, kind of summer jobs, community service, just kind of creating those opportunities and making sure they fit into guys' schedules. So guys, when they see a UConn football player, they don't think they're strictly an athlete, but someone who overall wants to help um, the UConn community and they go to class. So things along that nature um, we put together for the summer, which unfortunately look like a wash now, but that's the stuff we'll be doing going forward, hopefully when we're back in the fall.
0: Yeah, like you said, the virus is taking the toll. So I'm going to go a little bit, you know, go down a different path since we're on the virus. Obviously, you know, Fauci and a bunch of other people are coming out Mm -hmm. saying that it's not really safe with reopening. And we all know football is a contact sport. Mm -hmm. A lot of people pack the stadium, a lot of people on the field. And UConn had a really stellar schedule, you know, with UNC and Ole Miss and Virginia and all these other teams are supposed to play this year now that we're independent. How do, you feel, how do you feel the coronavirus is going to affect UConn football this year?
1: Personally, um, at least from my opinion, I just think it would be pretty difficult. Um, this is with no like higher-up information because that's certainly above my payroll. But I, I can't see how any school in the country is going to be able to play just like you said it's a contact sport you know you have teams traveling look at the AAC like I know we're not in it anymore but in a, a normal American season we could have been traveling to the Tulsa in season so you'll have trips like those going on me personally I don't see how anyone plays college football this summer maybe some of the SEC schools will try it out with no fans but if it does happen, it'll definitely look different. But I, I think it's gonna have a huge effect on college football. I mean, I read an article, maybe they push it to the spring. I don't know how that would work, but I think there's just it's a there's a lot up in the air right now.
0: So you're a former player, like a recent former player. If they came out and said that, you know, football is gonna be canceled because of the virus, what would you want in return? Would you want your eligibility back? Would you want, you know, security on the team just in case, you know, other recruits right. come in? What what would you want out of your program and out of the NCAA? I
1: think the big thing out of the NCAA would be to expand the roster sizes because those recruits that have been recruited are still gonna come. Just because you get that extra year of eligibility like they did for the spring sports, doesn't mean that, you know, the team is gonna keep you in your proper place. Cause like you said, there's some programs that are gonna have five star kids coming in. And if you're a junior and they plan for you to either be gone kind of pursuing your NFL dreams or whatever. They're not going to, you know, it's a business. They're going to want their five-star guys in. So I guess from the NCAA, I will kind of want a roster expansion just so you can keep those guys. You don't have to force people to the portal. And from your team, I guess the only thing you could really hope for and that would be right is to keep your scholarship. Um, Anything, playing time, all of that would have to be earned and would definitely create some of the most competitive camps we have seen next summer. But I think you just want stability. Like you could stay at that school, stay on the roster, and then from there it's probably gonna be every man for itself. It'd be an unprecedented situation. That would be crazy.
0: So I kind of talked about it before with the roster, but for those who don't know, UConn is going back to the big East, which means football will have to go the route of being an independent. Doug, how do you see, you know, being an independent impact mm-hmm. the program as a whole and specifically recruiting?
1: Well, I mean it's- one of the funniest things to me was back when this all happened, I think it was July, early June, one of them, someone was like, wow, those the, the UConn players are going to be so disappointed. And I was just telling somebody, like, as a player, the last thing, the things on your mind are, oh, I wonder how we're going to schedule teams or who we're going to play. Because there's, there's so many people whose job that is. Your job is to play football and get your schoolwork done. And that's what was on our minds. We knew it would get figured out um but on the other hand no one came to play UConn football because it was in the American Athletic Conference they came to play for UConn and be at the school and play for the coaches that recruited them um but so far I think it will have a great um impact on recruiting I mean like you said the schedule you're playing a lot of power five teams a lot of like household names you know you're all over the country the school's teams want to play and I I think you know, they announced a deal with CBS Sports yesterday or two days ago. I think so far it's been super positive on recruiting. and It's only going to get better. So I
0: think it's just been a great move for not only the program
1: but the school.
0: So I just want your opinion on this. There was rumors and, like, murmurs that, you know, UConn might be going to the ACC because of football mm-hmm. or maybe join Big Ten. And obviously none of those came true. But – out of those two conferences that are pretty stellar football conferences, what which one do you think would suit UConn more, the Big Ten or the ACC?
1: No, the, the Big Ten has a lot of big kind of research universities like UConn. So when I think of UConn in like a big football conference, for some reason I always think Big Ten, Rutgers, and Michigan, Ohio State. I think UConn would be a perfect fit in the Big Ten. Um, Football-wise, I think it would just boost recruiting, and UConn would be a a power. Uh, The ACC is a great conference with Clemson, BC. You'd have that rivalry, BC and Pitt. But me personally, I just – I don't know why, but I always see UConn in the Big Ten. But the Big East is going to be great. Being an independent is going to be great. Um, Basketball-wise, the Big East, like, I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be crazy.
0: Definitely. So I worked in the communications department for athletics, done a couple of games with the daily campus. Mm-hmm. I was in the, the press room and I heard, you know, Etzel talk and a couple of controversial comments, but one that really stuck out to me that I wanted to ask you about was you talked about talent before and how it's always there at D1, but he made, I think it might've been Tulane. He made a comment saying that they were the more talented team and that his players were beaten by more talented mm-hmm. players. Do you think, that that issue is you know that the players from Tulane are more talented or do you think that has to come back to like coaching and recruiting
1: I think it always comes it always comes down to just who's on the roster and the age if you look at it we were the youngest team in the country borderline two years in a row and I think what coach was getting at he wasn't trying to diss us or uh, piss us off or anything he always said you know we're the youngest team in the country so naturally guys who have been in other schools strength and conditioning programs are bigger faster stronger than us um, they've been in the program longer they know the ins and out and that ends up the guys being more talented more comfortable in the system and stronger so having a young team and we had a ton I think my first year at UConn most of the team was full of freshmen and sophomores guys who haven't seen the field and we're just getting stronger. And you put that up against central Florida. I mean, you're at a huge talent and strength and conditioning disadvantage. So I don't think he was trying to, you know, say, you know, this loss isn't my fault or trying to defuse responsibility. I think he was just being honest and saying, listen, like our, the talent is here. It's not fully developed yet. It's not what it will be, but at the time, you know, I think everyone who watched could see we were outmatched with what we had.
0: Yeah, definitely. But I know me personally, just as a former athlete, I have dealt with a coach, I'm not going to say who, who kind of talked about talent and how we were as talented as, you know, other teams that we were going to play around the state of Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And that kind of, as a player, rubs you the wrong way. So what was kind of the environment in the locker room after he said those comments?
1: I think – I mean, obviously, like, I, I'm sure you've been watching the last dance. Michael Jordan used, you know, you walking by him at dinner and not saying hi as motivation. So you have guys who will take any in, any and every bit of um, motivation, you know. some That's just how some guys are wired. But there wasn't some, you know, the next day at practice, after that game, guys like, you know, oh, I can't believe he said that because we all knew what he meant. I mean, what he says to the media, I mean – he, it's the media. He talks to us as a team and how we need to improve and how much stronger we need to get. Those were all things already known. And we knew that's what he was getting at. He knew he wasn't sliding us. But at the same time, like I said, there's guys who take everything and use it as motivation. So I'm sure there were some who used that to fire them up for that next week of practice. And I'm sure Coach would be fine with that. But there was definitely not like a different mood around the locker room or the facility. Um, we knew what he meant, you know, kind of. barely listened to the media anyway, kind of rolled off our back and just carried on. So I wouldn't say as big of a deal as people made it, it was kind of minimal news to us.
0: Okay. So it's been a pretty busy offseason for the UConn football team, I'll say. You know, 26-plus players have entered the transfer portal, including star DB Tyler Coyle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's also been off-field issues that have been undisclosed. But how do you – you know – Feel like losing a player like Tyler Coyle, as well as the other transfers, will affect the team next year? Yeah.
1: TC, he's a great player. He's also a good dude. I had a lot of um, classes with him, so he will be missed. But if you look at the landscape of college football, transferring is just its one of those things. Like I know Stanford had 20 plus guys transfer, um, grad transfer, all of that with the rules changing. And it's hard because these rules have just changed in terms of grad transferring, being able to play right away. And we had a lot of guys who graduated early, you know, for whatever reason they wanted to be closer to home, which was, I saw a lot of that just wanting different opportunities after spending four years at UConn. Um, And all of all those guys would be missed because they did bring something to the team in one aspect or another, but that's just kind of the name of college football now. I don't think anyone Took it personally and the portal is the portal. And I think that will even change in the next six months or so looking at the headlines NCAA is making. But um they will be missed. And I know we have a talented group of freshmen coming in as well. So it's just it's just the nature of the beast. And guys will leave next year, guys will come in next year. So it's one of those things you just get used to. But all those guys are great and they'll do well at all the schools they're going to.
0: Yeah. So like you said, um, the portal has been a really big thing in college football. There was comments that I'm not going to get into that, but do you think UConn will look to get guys out of the portal this year?
1: I think, I think every program looks into the portal and it's tough because UConn is still kind of, as you know, it's a top 25 public university. So there's standards academically that uh, guys have to get by on. And so it's not just football at UConn. It needs to be, a bunch of requirements met so i think everyone we always are like you know dj morgan's on the team and he's an awesome dude he came from notre dame one of our better players last season on defense he's a, also a standout dude he checked all the boxes and he wanted to play here so i think you'll see situations like that but i know um the coaching staff is also a believer in developing players and like they took a chance on me and i was an unproven Division three guy just because they thought down the line I could be useful on the field or in the locker room. So, you'll, I think the program may stray towards that a little bit more, but definitely they'll be open to guys in the, um, in the portal. I think every uh, Division one program is.
0: Yeah. So, staying with UConn, obviously, uh, Kevin Mensah and Cam Ross, a while, respective uh, running back and wide receiver, both had solid years. Uh, you know, running back and wide receiver. How big of a role do you think they're expected to be for next season if it happens? Oh, I
1: think it would be huge. Like both those guys' work ethic is just off the charts. I think people know that about Kevin because he's been on the roster for quite some time. But Cam Ross is the same way. They both just are workaholics. They're always trying to get better at what they do. And like I said, kind of Coach Edsall and people on the coaching staff notice those type of things. They provide opportunities for guys they see that are working hard. So as hard as they work, it's almost a given that they'll get opportunities to do something special on the field. I think the offense is going be, to be pretty good. Um, Kevin's unbelievable. Cam's good. And Elijah Haram, the O-line's going to be revamped. But you have there's some dogs all over the, the offense. So I'm looking forward to seeing that.
0: Yeah, so you talked about your confidence going forward in the offense with the O-line and the wide receivers and the running back. But the quarterback position for UConn last year was very inconsistent, you know, with Zergi Otis being bounced in and out as a starter, as a true freshman. But how intense do you think the QB competition will be for the starting job next year? Oh, I
1: think it's going to be crazy. And I hope there's a training camp and I hope there's a season because that would be something special to watch. Because Jack, I mean, if you watch Jack this past season, he had moments of being really, really good. And, I mean, he's young. He's a freshman. I, I know when I first came to UConn, if you threw me in against UCF, I don't know what I would have done. So the poise he's shown throughout the season I think was special. And then Steve, you saw him against Tempo coming back from injury, is also going to be pretty good. They both had years under their belt. Um, Micah, he got hurt in camp last year. But the practices he had during camp were Really, really impressive. So I think between those three and the guys that have coming in, quarterback is going to be wide open. I don't think anyone's going to be given anything. Like I said, that's kind of the mantra around the team, but those, that's going to be a heated competition. I mean, I don't know who they'll go with and if they'll be switched. I think that's all kind of future talk, but I think for the purposes of the quarterback battle and training camp, it's going to be wide open. I think all those guys are going to get an opportunity.
0: So we talked about it earlier. UConn being an independent, you know, we have to kind of switch our schedule around and look for people to come play us, as well as go play people that offer us, you know, the program a good amount of money. But do you think over the next five years, UConn football will be able to grow bigger and be able to compete against guys like Michigan, Clemson, Ohio State, Tennessee, all teams that we already have set to play mm-hmm. over the next five years?
1: Yeah, I think definitely. If you look, I mean, towards the end of Coach Edsall's first stint here. We were winning the Big East. I mean, even a few years after he left, we had, you know, Rutgers and Maryland on the schedule. And those are all competitive games. But what people don't realize, and I know we live in a society where we want instant success. That's just kind of what we're used to. After all these years, I know we had a few losing seasons. But under that, we've had guys developing and we've had recruiting guys who are developing under them. And I think in two to three years or two to five years, you'll start to see the dividends of that. And there'll be competitive games, games people love to watch. And I think that's all this fan base is looking for is kind of competitive games and kind of that UConn grit that they got used to when Coach Edsel was here the first time. So there's no doubt in my mind that while we play these bigger schools, which kind of seem daunting right now. The program at that time will be more than ready to uh, take them on and have it be a competitive game.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, I hope, obviously, we won't be there still, but I hope UConn football over the next couple of years able to compete and make a name for themselves at a high level. But obviously, I brought up Michigan. We are slated to play in Michigan, I think, in 2023 or two. One of the two. I don't know. But Jim Harbaugh came out and said that he believes student athletes, you know, football players, should be able to register and put their name in for the draft. And if they don't get drafted, return to their respective universities. Do you agree with that statement?
1: Um, I would say I agree with half of it. I definitely think undrafted players should be able to return to their school. But I think right now you need to play at least two years of college football when you come out of high school. And I agree with that because the physicality of the NFL is off the charts. I mean, the NBA is definitely a physical league and you you had guys leaving after one year, but Comparing the two sports in terms of how physical it is and the strength and conditioning you need, I think you need two years in college. And kids would be kind of drawn to the league knowing they could leave. And two years of college I think would make a world of difference. So I, the requirement where it's at right now I think probably should stay not only for the safety, but, you know, it would at least kind of give these rosters some stability and not having to worry about guys leaving for the league after a year. But undrafted players, I, you know, Kids should be able to return to school. like They went for their dream. It didn't work out this time. Like, Why shouldn't a kid be able to go back and maybe he has a year to go on his degree, get his degree, then reenter for the draft after the following season? So I definitely think that's something they should look into.
0: So you kind of talked about it for a second. I was kind of looking at it from a college perspective rather than an athlete or the NFL perspective, but if kids go to the draft, that basically – Freeze up a roster spot for recruiting or a scholarship right. but say if that kid goes and he comes back now you're kind of creating a problem with you know the amount of kids you have coming in and the amount of crew recru- recruits you have coming in and then you have a guy coming back that you originally you know thought was going to go to right. the nfl how do you think that could like cause some contradiction for colleges
1: i think the tough part with that would be kind of the promises made there in recruiting because i would think these bigger programs like Alabama, Michigan, say they have a stud linebacker uh, that was a four-star recruit and is looking at the league and um, somehow he doesn't get drafted and they made a promise to another linebacker coming out of high school. Like that would get a little messy. But I would think the way coaches know their players, at least at UConn, I know all the other programs across the country are like this. They have such a good kind of, uh, they they know when a player is ready for the league and they know when a player will get drafted. Like Matt Pert everyone knew he was going to get drafted. Just kind of his work ethic, his his knowledge of just the game in general and his size and physicality, everyone knew he was going to get drafted. So I think you'd see a lot of that. Coaches, other than, I guess, guys who projected to go sixth, seventh round, they'd have a pretty good idea of who's going to get drafted, kind of hopefully kind of decreasing those contradictions you'd have with incoming players. But I can definitely see that happening a few times at some of these bigger programs. Um, in terms of scholarships and stuff. So maybe the NCAA would have to look into that and say, kind of create some guidelines on what is expected for a player once they get back. But that's definitely, that's interesting to look at.
0: Yeah, definitely. So kind of just the last thing I want to get into because it's very controversial and you're the first, well, former D1 athlete we've had on the show. There's been that question in that looming cloud over the NCAA as far as, you know, paying players, whether it's, on name and uh, likeness or if it's on you know just straight you know weekly payments or playing the game do you think college athletes should receive some sort of payment
1: um yes i mean if you look at the money that some of these look at schools in the sec the money they rake in fuels some of these large public universities and for the guys that be on these rosters kind of you know getting their books paid for and tuition, which is huge and which could change a life, it's it's not even a, a percentage of what they're making on game days and throughout the season. Um, so I know there's been a lot of talk of um, name, image, likeness and all of that. And I think that's something that, that's going to get bigger and will probably happen soon looking at the uh, stories I've been reading. Um, you know, guys should be able to, you know, get paid – Based on, you know, if a business wants them to advertise something or something locally, I think it'll start off with that and players will be happy with that at first. And then maybe it'll grow from there. Um, I know some of the main concerns with that is, you know, kind of creative and competitive imbalance. Like obviously Bama in terms of um, name image like this will be able to offer more opportunities because they're kind of more marketable. Um, but, you know, there's, there's going to have to be legislation within um, players getting paid, but it has to happen in some capacity because college sports, I mean, especially the revenue sports, football, basketball, uh, women's basketball, men's basketball, is the, it's, it's too big. Like I was looking at uh, Sabrina from Oregon. Um, and if she had sold her Oregon jersey, she would have made a ton of money just based off of her own name, just on the back of the jersey. And right now the WNBA is in a spot where it's not as marketable as, you know, the NCAA tour the women's NCAA tournament and college basketball. So she could have lost. She lost a ton of money. So just kind of closing those gaps would be the first step for athletes to get paid. I think that'll happen soon.
0: So I'm just going to like express my opinion. Obviously, I'm a regular student. I do believe that athletes should be able to be paid on their image, you know, name image likeness. But for me, I don't feel like they should receive a paycheck mm-hmm. because me personally, I look at it I look at it from the the eyes of a student, you know. We're over here paying tuition, paying for room and board, paying for food. Like you said you guys are getting all that for free on top of like gear, you're living in the nicer, well, not right away, but you know, like junior, senior year, you automatically get thrusted into an apartment. Right. But other things come to mind, like if we pay D1 athletes, are we going to pay D2 and D3 athletes? Right. And I have a lot of friends that play D3 and it's kind of like, well, you, it's either pay them all or you don't pay them at all. That's kind of the way I look at it. But I feel like that's also going to kind of take away from the thrill of college sports. Right. Like, they're, the students are there or the student athletes are there to play for their school and to take, you know, use college as a stepping stone to eventually reach, uh, reach their goals, which is, you know, professional leagues. But I feel like if we're just going to pay student athletes, I know you said that you think each football player should be able to do two years of or should do two years of college before going to the NFL because it's a, um you know, a greater physical aspect of the game. But if we're going to pay, you know, the third string running back on the team, then he should be able to just try and make the jump straight to the NFL because I feel like that's just kind of controversial if you ask me. Right.
1: I think with that, I don't think it would ever get to a point where, you know, say if you play for University of Connecticut, you get, you know, $1,000 a week. I don't think there will be any paychecks directly for just being on the roster because, you know, a four-string lineman shouldn't be getting – as much money as the starting running back. Like, how would that work? How would you? So I don't think it will ever get to that point. I think the only thing that really needs to be ironed out and legislated is just using name, image, and likeness, because that kind of gives everybody an equal playing field. I you know mean, Division three athletes could be allowed to do it, and maybe they wouldn't have as much opportunity because they're not as marketed on ESPN and Fox and all of those sports um, networks. But I think that's where it can start and end, just make sure it's done right. All right.
0: Well, Doug, that's all we have for today. I uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Ty. I'm happy to be here. Um, I listened to the last few
0: episodes. It's great. Keep going. All right. And for everybody else that's listening, that was Doug Wardlaw, former UConn football player. I'm Ty Reeves, your host, and we'll see you for episode six.